there have been enough confirmations today. I want to start by saying none of you are here by accident. You're, you're here because you love the Lord. We worship the Lord. We want to be perfected. And everything, everything Sim just prayed, I kind of feel is what this message is. So, um, before we, again, there have been several confirmations, but the words of life that Sim talked about. I, I was in the back before we started, and I said, I just want this to be words of life. Sim says, can we pray for you, brother? Sim and David pray. And what's the first thing he says? May he have words of life. I, I, this is going to be a tissue message for me. Maybe it won't, but it might. It might. Um, <clears throat> I pray that there'd be words of life. I prayed in myself that I would get the heck out of the way. And what does, what does Sim pray? Make sure John gets the heck out of the way. So there, there is always trepidation when you speak. And this particular message is one that I, I don't feel any particular expertise in. I don't feel any particular... Um, these are my favorite verses in. But when you, when you agree to speak to the Torah portion, it's, okay, it's, it's February the 10th. Here's what we're going to talk on. So here's what we're going to talk on. Um, one other time, um, I, I, I was asked to speak from when Peggy was going on our, it felt like a seven-year journey of jo- the book of Joshua. But Joshua 12, I was, I was asked to speak on a particular a particular, um, the chapter is called The List of Defeated Kings. And, and it was essentially a list of defeated kings. And, and the moral, and I learned a great deal about that. And my conclusion from Joshua 12, the list of kings was, and the king of so-and-so won. Defeated the king of this, this one, Defeated this, 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 this one, and it, and, it, and it concludes with, and there were 31 in all. And I thought, what a great, for me, that was a great gleaning to count our victories, the victories that the Lord have given us. So with that in mind, I said to Peggy, okay, I'll, 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 I'll do this. And, and Peggy's messages from the, from the Torah portion has been so good. And today's Torah portion is, is Exodus 21 through 24, but I'm going to rewind, and I'm going to read to start Exodus 19, and it starts with verse 1, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. So after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So we all know what that mountain is, so it's right there, we're right there. We're right by the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you were to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you were to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings 
and I brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words, these are the words, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and he summoned the elders of the people and he set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. This wasn't 12 people. This wasn't 37 people. The people said, we will do everything that the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So he goes up, he goes down, he goes up. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And what did the people would say? We will do it. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. And we'll come back to that later. They're to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. We're up to verse 14. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothing. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relationships. And on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. We, we've, we've visited that word trembling here over the last couple of weeks. Everyone in the camp trembled. I was in a... <laughs> when I was probably 14... I was in a, um, up in the Poconos at a basketball camp. And um, we were working it. I think I was working it, not participating. But it was like we would go up there and they'd let us do some of the drills with them and all that. So uh, I, there, was a, there was a thunder and lightning storm. And when you're 14, you don't want to admit to being scared to anything. Let me tell you, I was scared. And my friend Brad was like in the bunk below me. And my nickname growing up here, pull back the curtain, was Bugs. Because everyone called me Bugs. My teachers called me Bugs. I'd say, Bugs, are you awake? Yeah. Who could sleep? I'm scared. And I remember Brad telling me that. I'm scared. And I think that was nothing compared to what we're seeing when a whole, when the people are trembling here. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And the smoke builded up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. 
the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of a mountain. So Moses went up. And on Exodus 19.24, we read that the Lord said, Go down and bring Aaron up with you this time, but the priest and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. Verse 25, So Moses went down to the people and told them, and that's how we ended chapter 19. Chapter 20, which Peggy illuminated for us last week, what she taught on was you know, the, the, the Ten Commandments, and in the midst of this national meeting, it was, not, it was not just a small little cadre of people. This was a national meeting. God spoke all these words. And that is what we read in Exodus 20, verse 1. God spoke to man through Moses, he spoke to a nation. Now, if you were there, what would he say? What would you expect that he would say? Would it be frightful and full of wrath? You're seeing fire. You're seeing lightning and thunder. You're hearing thunder. You're trembling. What would you say? You've seen miracles and fire in the cloud as the seas opened up. You've already seen some of that. You've seen manna, plagues and slavery. You've grumbled. You've doubted. You've rejoiced and you've praised. You've trusted and you've mistrusted. You had a decisive victory against the Amalekites. Remember when they were holding up his, Moses' hands? Aaron and her, correct? Okay. And there you are. Everyone in the camp trembled. In the midst of the thunder and lightning, you stand at the foot of the mountain to meet, to meet with God. And the Lord descends on top of the mountain and Moses ascends and then he descends again with a warning. Then he ascends again. What would you expect the Lord to say? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know what I would expect the Lord to say in that instance. I don't know that we can... Maybe someone here can. I, I, I don't know what, what would be said there. I read a book, um, a history book, and Lynn can hold up the... When we do this in our family, it means, John, you've told that story before. So um, if I see Lynn doing this, um, I'll... I'll um, I'll say it anyway is what I'll do, just like I do at home. All right, so um, is, I, I love history, and there's a story of this trapper, and this was from the early 1800s. Those mountain men trappers were, oh, they're just, what, a, what an era. It, it wasn't all good, but what an era. And in this one, this one instance, he was pushing, um, he was pushing a, a, a boat in kind of shallower water, and there were rattlesnakes around. Now, if, I, if I'd been around a bunch of rattlesnakes, that would be a story I would tell at every Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, there's rattlesnakes everywhere. <laughs> so, so then he goes inland, and a bison chases him, a big bull bison. He goes up a tree, and he has to wait till like the next morning till the bison leaves him because he's been treed by a bison. So the bison goes away, 
he comes down the next morning, and he's, and a grizzly bear chases him. He races to the boat, and he turns around, and it was, it was like a movie. He shoots the grizzly bear. The grizzly bear drops at his feet in the water. This was in one day this happened. I, my life's not that, I don't know about you guys, my life's not that exciting. I don't get to tell neat stories like that. So the context of this moment is that there were up to 2.4 million Israelites, depending, there, there could have been less, but there were as many as 2.4 million Israelites who were present at this time. It was everybody. They would have seen firsthand this two point, what did they have in common? They would have seen firsthand the plagues that visited Egypt that were sent by the Lord. They were all enslaved. Uh, they, they, they cried out to God regarding regarding their circumstances. And that alone would have been traumatic in life. To be a slave? Treated cruelly? They may or may not have suffered in some of the plagues. I think there's, whether, whether none of the plagues afflicted them or whether a couple did, um, there may be different thoughts on that. I won't, that's not, the, that's not what we're talking about here. But they packed up, they left everything, they were uprooted. They left and they basically had a death race to freedom. They grumbled, they suffered thirst and hunger, and it was so hard that they actually wanted to zip around and turn around with their feet and walk the other way. Now in our day, we would see this as national trauma. Um, it is one thing to have national trauma at home. Think of 9-11. I think everyone here, virtually almost everyone, maybe an exception or two, were, were born after 9-11, so you would have known that. Um, the Kennedy assassination would have been something that would have been visited upon us that, we, that would have been close to national trauma. Um, Pearl Harbor would have been national trauma for us. In, 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 in some ways, the slow motion cruelty of slavery in our history would have been a, a sort of national trauma. And certainly certainly to a slave, but it was a blight on us. It was, it was part of our national trauma that our nation embraced slavery as it did. It's another thing to have all those national traumas on the fly. So here's the Israelites fleeing, walking towards, I'm safe, uh-oh, I'm not safe. The Red Sea opens, okay, I'm safe again. Um, and all of these things are visited upon the people, all of that trauma, when they're on the fly. They don't get to go home and sleep in their own bed. In Exodus 20, were the Ten Commandments, and um, during, the, during the, the, the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So that was the context of when the commandments were given. And the Torah portion for today, starting at chapter 21, would say, this is what God would say to his people in the covenant relationship. Again, we read, God spoke all these words. And I don't think we can dismiss that because we may not understand some of these. 
These were words that were spoken to the people of Israel. These are the laws you were to set before them. The complete Jewish Bible calls them rulings. And here's some of the rulings. Hebrew servants, uh, 21, uh, chapter 21, verse 2. If you, I'm going to fly through these. This is some of what we read. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. And there's, there's more verbiage around that. Personal injuries. And these are the headings on my, in my scripture. 21, verse 16. Anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him and still has him when he's caught must be put to death. Anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. Protection of property, 22.3. If a man grazes his livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in another man's field, he must make restitution from the best of his own field or vineyard. Social responsibility. Do these sound like they all apply to you? Anyone here a slaveholder? Anyone here uh, with oxes and, and in the agricultural community? I don't, I don't think so. So they seem a little bit foreign to us. Do not take advantage of a widow or orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I will hear their cry and my anger will be arised and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. 23.9, do not oppress an alien. You yourself know how it feels to be aliens because you were aliens in Egypt. Exodus 23.10, six days do no work, but on the seventh day, uh, six days you may work, do your work, but on the seventh day do no work so that your ox and your donkey may rest and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. We read further down in chapter 23, the annual uh, Festivals three times a year, you were to celebrate a festival to me, a feast to me, Exodus 23, 14. So when I read those, I'm not, I, I don't know what I would have expected what the Lord would say. So what I'm going to do now, and, and I, I, I am trusting, and Mitchell do, do this if I'm, if I'm getting off track, but I I am trusting that there are portions, I'm, I think in bullet points, the way my little pea brain works, I think in bullet points, and, and I'm going to deliver these to you in bullet points. And some of these may be something you need to hear or something you need to understand. These laws, I'm struck by how pragmatic they were. They're how how um, non-sensational, I guess, they were. Judy Aidy said uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, you may, you may or may not remember this, Judy, some are big decisions and some are small decisions in, in, in obedience. And, um, and my paraphrase of that is obedience doesn't always come with great fanfare. Be obedient in small things so you can be obedient in bigger things. These these laws were set up to protect man from himself. Cain will kill Abel left to his own. Left to our own merit, we will 
rebel. This portion of the Torah, these are like ground rules for being God's people. And I don't mean to be flippant when I say ground rules. People want to know the rules. They may choose not to follow them, but people want to know what the rules are. They want to know what's expected of them. These were given at a time as foundational instruction at what point? They were getting ready to go on a big journey. You know, 2.4 million people, you, you better have some sense of order to your, to, to, to your society. And I'm not, I'm not cheapening things by saying, you, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying here. They wanted to start the, the, gird your loins and get ready, and these are some things we need to, we, we need to, you know, we need to follow here. They want to start that journey to the covenant land, the promised land properly. And these are not like I was saying to maybe Sim or David or somebody that we're not talking here. These weren't given as laws like jaywalking or speeding. But so many of these speak to how we are to, how we brush up against each other on this world. And uh, we kind of need to know what the, how, would, how do we do this life? How do we do this life? Particularly when you've left all that trauma. You've left the nation. That's the only nation you've known for 400 years. How do, you, how do you do life? This is new. How do you do it? Well, some of these instructions were, this is how, this is, this is how you do life. The concept of lawlessness over the last couple of weeks was discussed. Um, the, uh, you know, an increase in the sin of lawlessness. How could there not be laws or instructions uh, within a, a community of 2.4 million people? Amen. Obedience is for our own good. There was a, um, I was a sociology major um, back in the day and Emile Durkheim was a French um, sociologist, and he, he, he talked about this concept, particularly for people who were coming, it's a concept called anomy. When you leave one stable, known uh, nation, or set of, or community, and you go to a complete new place, it's very difficult, and when that happens, and there are people who immigrate here to this nation or people who immigrate anywhere, when you go to a new place with new set of rules, with new guidelines, it's very confusing. It can be very, very, very difficult. And, and as a matter of fact, the, the, the incidents of suicide are higher when this condition of anomie, you can't figure out where you stand. You see a big map, we see it, and we know, right, you are here. If you're leaving something that's known to you for many years, you may not know what that map looks like. People need to know what is, what is the new, what are the new rules? 
And remember, this is now a theocracy. This is now, there's no king anymore. There's no pharaoh anymore. You've been subject. How were they governed before? According to the laws of the king of slavery. Those laws are gone. They do not apply, and therefore, it was a privilege to receive the laws of the new king. Does that sound familiar in your, in your spiritual life? Do you want to follow the, follow the laws, the citizenship of the earth, or your citizenship is in heaven, right? And we are to have a mindset where our we're following the laws of heaven. Amen. This is the king you now serve. And I think the main point of my message here is that these laws, they all speak to, and pay attention here if you're if you're if you're if you're drowsy, if you're thinking about, I don't know, whatever you think about, um, these laws were set up to grab hold of a man's heart, his desires, his eyes, his hands, his feet, his ears, his mouth, his head, and his heart. There's a very real element to obedience that obedience involves our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet, our head, and our heart. And we want them to be subject to our king. And our king asks them from us. If you don't have an ox or a slave, if you don't dig a pit, if you don't hit others with your fist or throw a stone or own a bull or a donkey or a sheep, if you don't sell off your daughters into marriage, if you don't let your livestock graze on another person's property, do recognize that these laws were given to people who did own livestock, who did own slaves, who sold their daughters into marriage. To not understand every jot and tittle of everything I've just said and everything we've just read here in this Torah portion does not exonerate us from acting obediently with the knowledge we do have presently. We can't, I didn't know at all. I didn't really know what this thing meant about owning a slave. I didn't know, I didn't understand, well, I don't own, I don't own a sheep and they're not grazing. I don't understand that. So therefore, no, we are responsible for what we do know. And you talk about trembling and you talk about awe. When you understand you're responsible for what you know, I tremble a little bit. 
A few months ago, um, Rabbi Peggy said something that I think was just a passing comment. I don't know if any of you remember this. She said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, before my feet hit the floor, I want to know that they are bathed in prayer. Does anybody remember that? It was just a, pass, just a passing little comment. And, and, and that she was bathed in prayer. Um, and she can correct the record when she returns if, I, if I've misspoken on, on that. And over the last several months, I've tried to be very intentional before my feet hit the floor to pray that my feet would follow the paths of righteousness, that my hands would serve God, that my eyes would look away from evil and towards righteousness, that my ears would turn away from unrighteous talk, and I pray that on my lips the words I use would be a blessing to others, and that I would speak words of blessing and not cursing. I pray that my mind would think the thoughts of Yeshua and that I would have a heart that feels for others and desires the thing that God desires for me. And I want to align, therefore, my feet and my hands and my eyes and my ears and my mouth and my mind and my heart to the ways of righteousness, not to my own ways. In the Torah portion, Exodus 23, following chapters 21 and 22, there. there there's one section of scripture, um, the laws of justice and mercy. And I don't know what, what each of your particular scriptures have, but that's the way mine reads, the laws of justice and mercy. And they're kind of grouped in these little man-made, uh, I, I think that's a man-made um, uh, title, not, I don't think that's, anyone can correct me there, uh, I don't think that's a scriptural title, but I think that's a man-made, a man-made title. 23.1, do not spread a false report. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. What does that speak to? It speaks to having your mouth under control. Verse 2, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Um, now, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of license when I say follow the crowd in doing wrong. Talk about You want your feet to be subject and obedient. Verse 4, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey, this is going to be a tester for most of us. Maybe it's a broken down car. Maybe we can, maybe we can translate that into something kind of of the, of the day here. If you see that ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. This is your enemy's ox or donkey. They don't like you. You might not like them. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. My little parenthesis I put for myself is, if you see a need, even with someone who hates you, um, you see their, their donkey falling down, can we use the eyes of righteousness to, in that situation? Not the eyes of Hatred, you are to help them. We are to help our enemies. There, I've said it. Do not deny justice 
to your poor people in their lawsuits have nothing to do with, false, with a false charge. And do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. My parenthesis here is, you better have a clean heart, because I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe binds, blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Keep your hands holy and clean. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourself know how it feels to be a foreigner because you were foreigners in Egypt. In parentheses, do not consider yourself in your mind to be over anybody, a foreigner or an outsider of any sort. Don't do it. We are not to do it. If you're harboring those thoughts, stop it. Confess them and stop it. So I challenge you to have and I'm not done yet, and uh, I, I challenge you to have Psalm 16 feet that follow paths of righteousness, the path of life. Psalm 24, and maybe this, there will be a time of prayer after this, but maybe the prayer is that we would have Psalm 24 hands that are clean. Or the Proverbs 20 hearing ear that our God has made. Or how about a pair of Matthew 13 seeing eyes that see and discern the needs of others? A Colossians 4 mouth that is full of grace, yet seasoned with salt. A Philippians 2 mind filled with humility that regards others as more important than yourself. A Psalm 26 examined heart one that is brokenhearted, Psalm 34, pure, Matthew 5, thankful heart, Psalm 9, full of peace, a heart full of peace, John 14, and a heart that's strengthened by God in Psalm 73. Are our feet going where they're supposed to go? It's a question. Are our hands doing those things that they're supposed to be doing? Do we hear and see with spiritual eyes and ears? Do we speak with love and encouragement? Do we think the thoughts of Yeshua and have a heart's desire to live according to his purposes? Do we do these things not seventh or fifth or third, but do we do these things first? We talked about quick obedience in the last couple of weeks. We've talked about that, that notion of being obedient quickly. They just did it. They were given instruction. They went out and did it. I think there's a way to view a teaching like this and, and, and one of it is to, to view the, the negative aspect of our mouth and the other is to view the positive aspect of what can we do with our mouth. How do we, how do we glorify God with our mouth? Some of you might be thinking that you've got to be careful your mouth doesn't get out of control and Rabbi Peggy talked about the incessant complaining of the Israelites. It's really no different than most of us if we're being honest about uh, leaving, um, we use our mouth about leaving Egypt. Why did we do it? Oh my goodness, we could have been back there. Um, James talks about that, the book of James. But we do want our mouths to glorify and praise our Father. To encourage those around you, to speak words of comfort. Comfort. 
Similarly, we want to be guarded with what we put into our minds through our eyes. But we also want our eyes to see the needs of others. To have the eyes of Yeshua, to see past a person's failure or their appearance, their sin, and to have eyes of compassion. I'm going to, I need to move it here. Um, sometimes, you know, our minds and our hearts, and I think when we're talking about our eyes, we're talking about our heart. When we're talking about our hands and our feet, we're talking about our heart. We know that. But sometimes our feet and our hearts, they want to make our feet walk right back into a very bad thing. And feet are a great metaphor. You know, um, Jonah was supposed to go east. He went west. His feet went that away. Just be careful that our feet don't take us back into a relationship or a situation, a habit or a sin. I love this verse, and I think I was blind to it for until about the last two or three years. You have shown me, Lord, the path of life. I love that. And I want to encourage everyone here to follow the path of life. Not the path that leads to slavery and death. Not the one that's that away. The path of life that's this way. Obedient feet go east. Disobedient feet go west. Uh, some random use, uh, just some of the things. We, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we take every thought captive and obey it and obey the Messiah. Job 13.11, my feet have closely followed his steps and I have kept his ways without turning aside. Two times recently in the Bible study, um, uh, people, uh, people pulled back the curtain a little bit on, on some things and, I, and I'll only say this with... The, I'll only say it because it was said publicly, but, but Hillary, Hillary gave, Hillary's like, uh-oh, what's, what's a, Hillary, <laughs> you just about to give me the stink eye, weren't you? <laughs> Hillary, um, Hillary talked about, um, there was a, a, a charge for an automotive charge. Do you remember that? And they were supposed to give her a little bit, and I'm paraphrasing, a, a little, a, a discount, and the Lord said, and the Lord said to Hillary, the discount was more than what Hillary expected. And she said, I'm going to give them more money because I think that's what the Lord had. The Lord told her to give a certain amount. She could have saved herself 50 bucks or 100 bucks or 200 bucks. I don't know. 300 bucks. Okay, there's a number. So, you know, Anna. Anna had a confession. You give me. You, you remember he said, "You had a confession about making right for a past sin, and somebody said something on that." And and, and that was a good. That was a that was a wonderful illustration of a heart that wants to be obedient, and therefore she made her hands go in her wallet and pay for something that she felt that she should have paid and didn't pay a number of years prior before she was a believer. And, and we say that our hands and our feet, we know that this is it. I think sometimes we're too, 
chirpy with our witness when obedient hands and feet are, 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 are much more authentic, are much more visible. That's the word. And I want to be careful. I'm not saying to people, don't, don't share the Lord. That's not what, obviously, that's not what we're going here. Proverbs 4.3, guard your heart above all else. Delight yourself in the Lord, Psalms 37. He will give you the desires of your heart. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, Philippians 2. Philippians 4.8, uh, and I love this, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent, praiseworthy. Think about those things with your head. Think about those things. Obedience to Adonai engages all of us. Our eyes, ears, hands, mouth, feet, head, and heart. And part of this lesson is, if you haven't figured it out, it's about holy living. Matthew 18 says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. But you know what else it says? Fling it away. Put some distance between you and that offending thing. I never know. I thought, fling it away. That seems like a funny thing to say. Gouge out your eye and fling it away. And if your hand and foot become a snare to you, cut it off and throw it away. Again, put some distance between you and that thing. Remember the people crowding around there? How were they to die? You don't lay a hand on them. You stone them. If they crowd up on the mountain, you stone them or you shoot them with arrows because we are to distance ourselves with the offending parts. Just random thoughts, and I'm closing up here. Uh, Obedience equals food. Disobedience equals wormy manna. We we are obedient. We're obedient for our own good. The The Lord desires us to be obedient. It's better for us when we are. Adopt your new culture, people in this room, and the laws of your new king. Give up those old laws. They don't apply to us anymore. Okay? They don't apply to us. You, your citizenship is in heaven, and it's from there that we expect a deliverer. Last week, Peggy said, um, how many times do we have to lay it all down? We lay it down moment by moment. This is, this is a quote. I was scribbling like crazy a million times, when we lay it all down, we are welcome back at his table yet again, yet again, yet again. And I thought it was very powerful when she taught that last week. In some very real ways here, folks, we're standing at the foot of the mountain. We have been freed from slavery, yet we've looked back. We have cried out for deliverance, and we've been delivered. We've lived under the laws of the old king, and now we live under the laws of a new king. We've been sheltered in ways we don't even know. A pillar of fire by night, a pillar of smoke by day. Someday we will know. We have hungered and been fed. We've been thirsty and have had our thirst quenched. We have trembled. And, um, and we have a book full of instruction here, don't we? In Exodus 23, 20, um, 
we read this. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to guide you along the way to bring you to the place I've prepared for you. And this is at least after the listed, the listed instruction, the listed set of laws is we go, you, but there's going to be an angel here. He's going to bring you to the place I've prepared for you. And the warning is this. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. In John 14, we read this. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The Ruach HaKodesh. We're not in it alone. We mess up. Um, I really felt that I... I think more than this is ultimately a lesson for us about surrender. Surrendering these, your, your feet, your eyes, your mouth, your ears, your mind, and your heart. This is a lesson about surrender. I had written, and the reason we kind of bumped up here um, to a message, and I'm sorry I've gone so long. Um, I wrote down here, I wasn't sure, I think maybe Thursday night I wrote, uh, how will I conclude this? And I said, well, prayer for prayer for feet, hands, eyes, ears, mouth, mind, and heart. And, and I wrote that down there, um, thinking that if, if there's time, maybe that's, you know. And, and then this morning, the reason we jumped up here is because someone had, someone had asked one of the elders, I really feel like we need prayer today. And I don't know, I don't know how exactly to do this, but I, I think the prayer is supposed to be about those seven things, our feet, hands, eyes, ears, mouth, mind, and heart. I think. Um, so I, I'm not sure the best way to do this, but um, if you need prayer, and I don't know, maybe it's for your physical feet. You know, I, I don't know. Or maybe it's that your feet are taking you places you oughtn't be going. I don't know. But, uh, I, I would suggest that the, I mean, I'll, I'll ask the elders, how do you want to, how would you do this uh, 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 prayer? Do we have prayer lines? Do you want me to say? Yeah. So, Joyce, could I have you Excellent. Excellent. If you need prayer, stand where you are and those around you or those around you can can come together with you. How's it, are we okay with that?